With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex. I am joined today by a couple of the usual suspects and a special guest. First, in the 757, we have Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on, man? Same old, same old stuff. Um, happy Veterans Day to everyone that's listening that is a veteran. Uh, my dad is a vet, so it's always a cool day for me. And it's a federal holiday, so I was off of work today. Um, so it's been a, it's been a very interesting Wednesday, but I'm really excited to get this podcast going. I think everyone is going to really enjoy listening to our, uh, esteemed guest. Uh, yeah, no, to echo what Ricky said, definitely happy veterans day. Thank you so much to all the veterans and active duty military members out there. I have a couple of close personal friends who fall into that category. Boys, you know who you are. Shout out to you and shout out to anyone who has served or is currently serving in our armed forces. Veterans Day, a day that I don't know if Mike McDaniel gets it off, but Mike, how's everything going up there in Northern Virginia? Nah, I had to work today, unfortunately, but yeah, happy Veterans Day to everybody. And we are joined by a special guest today, a graduate of Virginia Tech, former all-conference player who served as a team captain for the Hokies. We have Dwight Vick. Dwight, how are you today, sir? Pleasure to have you on. Hey, I'm good, man. Thank you, man. It's an honor to be with you guys. And I share everyone's sentiments about veterans. Um, happy Veterans Day. I, I work today, but I still took time to make sure I paid homage and respect to all those who have served. Um, but it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk to Dwight about, you know, his background and, and then discuss, you know, maybe more solution-oriented things for this program, how Justin Fuente or anyone else can get the Hokies back on the right track. But first, I got to thank the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy for making this podcast. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that cares about you as a neighbor rather than a number. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you and your community, look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, first, Dwight, I just want to lead this off. Tell us a little bit about your background, about how you ended up at Virginia Tech and your time in the program. I was uh, I was heavily recruited out of Hampton High School uh, in the early 90s. Uh, um, growing up, believe it or not, my favorite university to cheer for was Notre Dame and UVA. Um, <laughs> but I ended up um, choosing Tech. Um, I was one of the top players in the state, played offense and defensive line, and also played basketball in the high school, played for the uh, legendary Mike Smith, who's still coaching, believe it or not. And, um, you know, I, 
you know, I just wanted to stay in state. At the time, UVA was the premier program, you know, having Terry Kirby and Herman Moore and Sean Moore. But um, I wanted to be different. I wanted to set um, my own trail and create my own journey, my own path. And I ended up choosing Tech, chose Tech. Florida, the Florida Gators were heavily recruiting me. And there were other schools after me. Um, I had several offers, Pittsburgh, Penn State, Tennessee. So when I chose Virginia Tech, I was the first uh, Hampton High Crabber to choose Tech in 94. Since 1985, a linebacker the name of Leslie Bailey chosen. So I created a trend that later resulted in us getting Myra Newsom, Tyrod Taylor, of course, Michael Vick, who's not a Hampton Crabber, but he's also from down there. And, you know, guys know our story, our connection. So, um, you know, and I went to Virginia Tech and was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Dwight, you came in right around Virginia Tech's ascension into kind of the, that elite category. But obviously, Virginia Tech isn't really ascending right now. And I wanted to see if maybe you saw any similarities to the 1992 season and, and where we are now. And um, are, there, are, are there any things that remind you uh, of, of that time frame? since you were basically being recruited to the program around that time and now you're able to observe it from the outside. I mean, are there any similarities to that point in time in Virginia, in Virginia Tech's history to now? That's a great question. Very good question. I've never been asked that. And as I answered, I just think about if there are similar similarities, it's that Virginia Tech is at a crossroads where they have to kind of identify what kind of program they want to be. Uh, when Beamer came into my living room along with Coach Height, they were heavily recruiting the state, and they were getting guys like Ty Washington, Marcus Parker, Ken Oxendine, uh, a lot of great in-state guys. They were recruiting Aaron Brooks, who ultimately went to UVA, but they were pushing hard to create what we now know as Beamer ball, not so much the special teams, but the culture. I think the current program, the current regime there, even though Fuente's been there five years, I think that's what you see going on right now where they're trying to really put a stranglehold, not so much on the state, but just, you know, as far as in the ACC. They were, they're trying to get a leg up. Uh, the Big East, when I was coming into Blacksburg, was being newly formed. Um, and you had Miami, which was the premier program. Syracuse, which, you know, was really good. And West Virginia, which was very similar to Virginia Tech as far as proximity, culture, and campus appeal and Virginia Tech was just trying to you know get a foothold in the conference and make a name for himself obviously the ACC has been around for a while and Virginia Tech's been in the ACC since 2004 and really from 2004 to 2011 has been or was the class of the ACC but that has changed really since 2011 and I think right now the similarities are that you know we're at a crossroads um in 92 Beamer went two eight and one and you know when Cornell Brown's class got there in 93. They took off and won the Independence Bowl and it gave momentum into 94, which we went into the Gator Bowl and lost uh, to, um, I was my redshirt year, we lost to Tennessee, which was led by Peyton Manning. But what you saw was momentum creating, ultimately in 95, got off to a rough start, but beat Miami, ironically, and won 10 straight. And then again, you saw the feel and the culture within the program and you saw the momentum take place. And then all from that on, there was a belief that this was the right guy. I think right now there is some uncertainty. 
um, around the program as far as where they're headed, what the trajectory is, especially after such a hot start in 2016. Yeah, Dwight, I mean, Fuente won 19 games in two years, obviously had a really, really successful start to his career in Blacksburg. And then since then, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. Obviously, uh, you know, a couple of years ago was what it was going six and seven um, in 2018 bounced back a little bit last year after the month of September, but it was just kind of an up and down year. So what do you think changed in your view from the first two years of Fuente's tenure in Blacksburg to kind of where the Hokies are at as a program now? In my humble opinion, that's a great question as well. You guys asked us some outstanding questions. I really feel like um, there's a couple of things. I, I think you've lost some key pieces. Uh, there was some surprise departures. Um, Tim Settle, uh, even though he proved to bet on himself and it was a great bet, losing guys like that early. Um, when the Edmonds brothers uh, declared early, they were just the transfer portal hurt De uh, Virginia Tech in regards to depth. I know some of those guys that left weren't starters, but um, some of those were some surprises. Losing Hazleton, um, then you had the you know tumultuous situation with Trayvon Hill, um, who they really severely missed on the defensive end that year after that tough loss to ODU. And I just feel like, you, you know, when you lose those kind of guys, that depth, and, you know, some of those guys were leaders, even though they might have been starters, Eric Kumar, I don't, I'm not sure what was going on within the program, you know, but I know transfers occurred when I played, and there were guys dismissed from the team when I played. That's going to happen on all campuses. But I feel like they're, the loss of those guys really have taken its toll on the program. Even, like, Deshaun McLeese declaring early, uh, that was a surprise because I really felt like, of course, he was not a dominant back, the reliable back, a very good back. And I feel like you lose something when you keep losing contributors, you know, who may not be starters, but help. And I also think a lot of times with Virginia Tech, since Fuente's taken over, um, and again, I hate comparing him to Beamer, but it is what it is. He took over for a legend, a Hall of Fame coach. Um, it's very difficult for guys like Ricky and your team and other people who follow this program to have a beat on what's going on. And let me just add this to that point. Virginia Tech, when, you know, I know this year with COVID, but, you know, when you had the spring games and scrimmages, fans and guys that covered the program were allowed to get a feel for up-and-coming players and people that you say, hey, keep an eye on this kid. I went to the scrimmage, and he really surprised some people. Or, you know, this guy right here is going to be a great receiver. When you watch Virginia Tech right now, you don't know. Um, it's, it's a closed roof. The windows are closed. You don't really have any transparency. So we're all left guessing who the up-and-coming guys are, what's going on. Um, I know Fuente has made a better effort the last few years to connect with the fans, jumping on Twitter. He's on a few podcasts. But at the same time, I think there is a disconnect to some degree. And I've said before on Twitter that the fans – and the alumni and the former players are the heartbeat, the foundation of your program. If we don't know what's going on, we don't have any idea, it's tough to even advocate and connect with recruits and potential players as well as momentum to donate and to connect uh, for games. And I think that's really hurt the program. Um, you know, I can't tell you what's going to happen in 2021. I'm not even talking about recruiting. I'm just talking about the feeling around the program. I think that's what's really hurt the program as a whole with departures, transfers, as well as a disconnect. And, you know, like, for example, when that ugly article came out, like it or not, with SI discussing what was going on within the program, you know, we're left to assume 
or think that's factual, whether we believe it or not. And that's dangerous in this world and age when transparency is essential with social media and things like that. So we don't know what's going on. We're left to assume. And I think that could be damaging. Well, you mentioned earlier when you came to Virginia Tech, Beamer was kind of trying to establish himself and really develop an identity for the team. And ultimately he did, right? You know, that Beamer ball, that lunch pail D on the other side, those weren't just mottos. Those were, were kind of a tangible identity that you could see on the field. Now, Justin Fuente takes over for that, and, and it's not Beamer Ball, and it's not the Lunch Pail D, and it's his program, so you don't have to expect it to be. But on the other side, you know, you can write hard, smart, tough on your tweets and on your T-shirts, but that doesn't hasn't really translated to, to the field. You know, and going with what you were saying as well, you know, guys leaving, you have transfers coming in and filling in key spots seemingly every year. You know, a, a lot of attrition, a lot of guys moving in. This team in, in this now five years that Justin Fuente's been here hasn't been able to develop a true identity. What does Fuente and the staff need to do? I mean, I know that's not something that you can just do overnight. It's part of a process, but I just feel like five years in, we're not there yet, right? Like, who is this team? Yeah. <laughs> well, other guys like myself and many of them are former players who have been very critical of the lack of identity with Virginia Tech. I understand in this world with trying to capture momentum and identify with recruits and social media, you do, need, you do need slogans and hashtags. I get it. I have a few myself, but I'm not coaching a major university football program. The reality is right now, Virginia Tech is not a disciplined football team. And you look at some of their worst losses since Wednesday taking over, they weren't disciplined. ODU, they stop ODU. They're getting ready to get the ball back. Devontae Hunter gets a face mask penalty on the quarterback. ODU keeps the ball, scores before the half. Uh, Wake Forest, you know, offsides, penalties. Um, the big play uh, a few last week or a few weeks ago, excuse me, against Louisville before the half, you up 21-7. You give up a 90-yard run. Uh, I don't know what the call was on defense, but things happen, but it seems like it's happening more and more. I think the hard, smart, tough thing is fine. I'm one of those guys who have no problem with retiring the lunch pail that was Foster's deal. I have no problem with them keeping the 25 jersey going if you want to honor Frank Beamer. But I think being a guy who played for Frank Beamer and understands what it's about, you have to have a mindset within your players. One thing you've seen me tweet and talk about on different radio shows and podcasts like this is you have to have guys within the program that are a leader and a spokesman that are an extension of coach for Justin Fuente. Who is that guy right now? Case in point, Go back to the 2004 ACC uh, championship team, their inaugural season in ACC. That guy was Brian Randall. You got guys like that. You go back to my day in the 90s, it was myself. And then you go before me, J.C. Price, Jim Drunkenmiller, Cornell Brown. You're going to go on and on and on, no matter what championship or even team that won 10, 11 games. I don't know who that guy is. Diablo, I don't hear much from him. I don't know who the seniors or the juniors or the leaders are. You don't even have to be a senior to be a leader. And I think when it comes to culture, smart, tough, discipline, you have to have a group of players, not just captains, but guys on the field that exemplify what Justin Fuente wants, that holds the guys accountable on and off the field. That means even at the drill field, even at the bar, the club, the dorm, hey, man, don't do that. You know, you're going to risk it all. We don't need that right now. We need you for Saturday. That's the leadership. You've seen it in movies like Remember the Titans. You've seen it in movies like the program. you got to have leaders. 
I don't really see who those guys are. I'm a big fan of Rashad Ashby, but I'm not sure he's that vocal guy. And they got a few other guys who are very talented. I don't think talent is really the issue at all positions. I think right now when I watch Tech play, I don't understand why they continuously come out flat. That's on the, not just Coach Fuente. That's on your leaders to get the energy going. You know, in my day, it was bull in the ring or it was a good speech before the game, whatever it is. I'm not seeing that whether I'm at the field or I'm watching through my TV screen. And I'm not saying that it means you got to be cursing and yelling. Tyrod Taylor was not a huge out, out extrovert, outspoken guy, but he led. You saw him talking to guys like David Wilson, picking up the defense. Hendon Hooker is a guy I love watching play. He's a, he's a guy I enjoy, and I, see, I think he's a leader. They play for him. But you need more guys like that. And I think when you look at the culture and the discipline, lack thereof, that's what you're seeing is a lack of leadership. And that starts, you know, within the weight room and within the locker room. And if, if I'm missing somebody, guys, please let me know because I don't see that. And I even go back to a few years ago. I'm not seeing that. I think the last time we really saw that was when you had the Edmonds brothers, Stroman, and Tim Settle and Ricky Walker. Those guys were leaders. And those guys went 9-4 and four, finished the season rank, even though they lost to Oklahoma State in a tough bowl game. Yeah, the I mean, j- just in my history covering the team, I felt like Gerard Evans served as kind of a, a vocal leader for the group. And even if Gerard maybe came off as selfish, which he never should have, that uh, Gerard really wasn't a selfish guy. It was just that Gerard ex- had a high expectation level for everyone around him, and he was going to hold you to it. But I think you're right on the nose with guys like Ricky Walker, uh, Terrell Edmonds. Um, these outspoken, but also guys that lead by example. And I do agree with you that we're not really seeing that. And that kind of segues into my, my point about the defense. I do feel like Virginia Tech's defensive struggles are kind of crippling the program right now. Um, what are your thoughts on Virginia Tech's defensive performance so far? And how how can Virginia Tech try and fix the defense this season just in the short term? Great question, Ricky. I, I think at the end of the day, you got to simplify things. I'm not going to beat on Justin Hamilton. I'll be honest with you. I know Justin. Um, I thought he was a great player for Tech, a, a role model, a leader, a versatile player. I think he's going to be an, a, a good coordinator. I think you can point to the lack of continuity and the COVID contact trace and all the inconsistencies from the start of the season. However, he has been there, and he has participated in stuff virtually, and this is his defense. Um, I saw a quote, I believe, from Dak that he said that they're starting to come close to getting it. It's a very complex scheme. I was a little surprised that they changed up so much with Coach Foster's system, but at the same time, that's Justin Hamilton's right. I think right now, if you want to beat Miami and make a run at this thing, I know that sounds crazy, but they're still 4-2 in ACC. If you want to make a run at this thing, I think you got to simplify things. And also, I think you got to get guys to play with effort. Um, I think when I watch some of the games now, I think I know, when I go back and watch the tape and I look at some of the calls, their calls in the moment of the game that are right. Guys aren't just wrapping up. I think when I say simplify things, I can remember even though I didn't play defense, I was on scout team my red shirt year. I was at Tech for five years, so I was there when Todd Grantham was there, Bud Foster, Sharpless, a lot of great coordinators that went on to coach at other universities. And after a game in which we didn't tackle well, they would just do circuit drill. They would just, 
you know, in each period, it would be a lot of focus on tackling. I think right now it starts with effort and tackling. Uh, Liberty was just making guys miss an open space. And you've seen that even with Wake Forest, where they would have a guy stop on third and five, and the power would get pushed, and we were getting dro- driven back. Now, you can make an argument that starts in the weight room, but I think from a scheme, schematic mindset, you just need to simplify things. You know, um, help the guys that need help, but more importantly, maybe you don't stun that play. Maybe you don't blitz. Maybe you play a best a base front and go zone on the back end. Because right now, there were several times it's been happening throughout the season. Guys are running wide open. And some of that is just blown coverage, but some of that is just lack of knowing where you need to be and confidence. So maybe just focus on things. But again, Rick, that's when it comes down to leadership because you only have a certain amount of time you can spend with a player during the week now because of practice regulations. So what I remember with guys like Torian Gray, who I played with, Pearson Prelo, Keon Carpenter, Lauren Johnson, Anthony Midget, even when practice was over, they would stay after and go over their schemes and coverages. They would meet even after practice. See, again, these are the things I'm not trying to make it seem like, oh, I have privileged information and the clearance that you can't have. Anybody that's played high school ball, JV, varsity, even in other sports, you understand the importance of chemistry and continuity and leadership where they say, hey, guys, we're going to meet at um, my place. I'm getting some pizza. We're going to go and watch film. This is stuff that was done even after I left the program because you heard about it. You can talk to Brandon Flowers. There's a mindset and understanding of being where you're supposed to be and building off the field. I'm not sure. I can't speak on whether or not that's happening at Tech, but I think that's what needs to happen where you just simplify things, but you also spend extra time focusing on where you're supposed to be at a particular down the distance. And I think that can help a lot. Until that happens, you're going to see that blown coverage or that lack of tackling ability on third and six when you have a guy stop. And, Ricky, I know you said a lot of tape. If you go back and watch, we have guys covered and stopped. But then we will blow, we will miss a tackle or knock each other off because of a pursuit angle. It's the stuff you're supposed to know in high school. And I don't think Tech is lacking talent all over the field. There's some spots, as you mentioned, Ricky, in your tweets. I follow you closely. Well, yeah, we got to upgrade. But some of this stuff is just about being knowledgeable in your assignments and being where you're supposed to be and playing with passion. Hey, Dwight, I've seen it mentioned a couple different places. This kind of plays into actually what you were just talking about, where, you know, there there are some folks who suggest that Virginia Tech may not have the personnel. And that's not from a talent standpoint. It's from a, a size standpoint, right? Interior defensive line, I've heard mentioned, maybe athleticism at the linebacker position. How much of that do you think is an actual problem where, like, Tech has talented players, but they don't fit the scheme versus just an effort thing where, look, there, there are plenty of guys who are talented enough to pick up this new scheme. It's just a matter of kind of figuring it out and figuring out what Justin Hamilton wants out of his defense versus what they were used to under Bud Foster. Yeah, Bud does and always had run a scheme with undersized guy because he was big on speed. So I do, I've seen those tweets. I've seen those reports and uh, discussions on various message boards. I don't disagree with that. I think you look at the SEC. I think you look at Virginia Tech's best year defensively. Defensively, excuse me, you saw uh, big defensive tackles. Tim Settles, Carton Powells, Waverly Jacksons. Usually if you got guys on that front that can get back there, the Hopkins brothers, those guys could make it happen. And that helps when you talk about getting those guards off the linebackers when they were trying to get to the second level. I do think you got to upgrade on certain positions. When I say talent, I think Tech has enough talent where they should not lose the Wake Forest and Liberty. But when it comes back to getting back to – 
Virginia Tech brand of football, whether it's lunch pail, hard, smart, tough, or pick a hashtag. You've got to get to the point where you have the right personnel. And that's when, of course, I'm sure those guys listening to this are going to say, hey, I told you recruiting. Well, yeah, truthfully, I'm not going to really debate stars. But I will tell you, you do need the guys to fit the right system. Um, I do think there's some positions on the field where we're lacking speed, which has never been stated at Virginia Tech. We were always known for speed. But I think that's something in which Justin Hamilton in the offseason needs to get with his guys and his staff, excuse me, and look at the right personnel. I think when you take over the way he did after Bud left and then everything happened with COVID and then we're recruiting, I think, yeah, it's going to take a little time. I'm sure Virginia Tech fans don't want to hear that time point, but I do think personnel is important. I think you got to get some guys in. The defensive line, we got to – I couldn't believe what I was – I mean, we were getting pushed around. And I just think, you know, in this day and age, I think you got to have size. I think when Bud took over – um, Al, uh, Al Mason, that's the five. Um, him and Sharpless were the defensive co-coordinators. And I think at that time, he modeled his defense after Washington with the eight-man fronts and the 4-6 defense. The speed at that time in the 90s really worked. Um, you didn't have the spread offenses. I think if you saw somebody go four wise, it was amazing back then. The game has evolved, obviously. You got to have speed, but you also have to have size. And I think for Foster's tenure, it worked you know, it was it was amazing how it worked because we were always undersized. We were able to get penetration and put on their side of the defense and re- reestablish the line of scrimmage. But now I see us many times against quality offensive line and quality opponents getting pushed around. I think that starts with your personnel. So I don't dismiss that notion. I think that is a valid point. And I think I'm pretty sure the coaches are aware of that. Uh, Dwight, now now looking at kind of the recruiting standpoint of things, Justin Fuente comes in, uh, you know, his, I guess his second year, third year, has has a decent amount of success in the recruiting trail, top five classes in the ACC, did a very good job recruiting within the state of North Carolina, because, you know, getting guys like Hendon Hooker, Trey Turner, Dax Hollyfield, et cetera. However, that's kind of stalled out, especially since Mac Brown came to the University of North Carolina. That pipeline seems to be diminished, and he, he's really struggled recruiting within the state of Virginia. Now, you were here at the outset of what ended up being, you know, a near two-decade run of success for this program, a lot of which was built right here in the state of Virginia. What does this coaching staff need to do to rebuild those relationships within the Commonwealth? and use their home state here as more of a pipeline? Look, at the end of the day, relationships matter. I've I've said this on air. I've said this in tweets or tweeted this. You got to repair relationships. Um, Look, everyone knows Virginia is no longer the best kept secret. When I was coming out, I told you I was the first um, player to sign with Virginia Tech from my high school um, in 94, since 1985, there was a gap. And the reason why is there was some tension between uh, Coach Mike Smith, who at the time was the best coach in the state, and he's a Hall of Fame coach, 14 state championships, national championships. But there was some issues with a guy by the name of James. Ultimately went to Tennessee to play with Todd Kelly. Um, and then there was a drought of guys from Hampton High and schools in the Peninsula District going to Virginia Tech. They ended up going to UVA for, for quite some time. And then, of course, that changed. But that's because Beamer 
sending guys like Kavanaugh and Coach Height, who have been very well known for decades with the high school coaches in the Hampton Roads, Tywood region, as well as Richmond. And then, of course, Northern Virginia has improved in football over the last several years and 20 years going. So now, well, excuse me, not now, but during Beamer's run, he had the relationships where it was to the point where Western Branch High School, Pipeline, Holland Springs, Pipeline, Deep Creek High School, Pipeline, Hampton High, Pipeline, Fevers High School, Pipeline. So you had it so much that Beamer had it on lock. I mean, it was to the point you knew Tech was getting guys. Oh, I forgot to mention Thomas Dale High School, Pipeline. And look, Justin Fuente is not a Virginian. Maybe there are rumors and speculation. He's not that high on Tidewater and Richmond. Look, perception's reality. And we've seen this before with the seven on seven guys back at the end of Beamer's tenure. There was rumors and tension on message boards that, you know, we didn't want guys from certain high schools and certain seven on seven teams. And the issue with that, and we saw how we missed out on the guys like Andrew Brown and Quinn Blandon and a few other guys, Lope Mizell. Now, on the flip side, they, have, they never won anything. But at the same time, imagine those guys in the Virginia Tech uniform. So believe me, I can speak on this very closely. Relationships matter. And I think if I am on that staff this summer, I make it a point to call guys in, invite them in for golf tournaments, go down there, have lunch. You don't have Steinspring anymore. You don't have Vaughn. Um, you don't have those guys that were able to go in those living rooms, in those high schools, and in those neighborhoods and urban communities to connect with these players and their 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 seven on seven coaches and trainers. That stuff matters. And you know, I've seen it. I mean, it's blown my mind how Lauren Johnson is one of the best Virginia Tech DBs of all time, highly respected, arguably the best high school in Virginia, high school coach in Virginia, four time state champion. And we don't have any guys from Holland Springs, I, I don't think. And Holland Springs was a pipeline. Macho Harris days and all those guys. Um, we're not getting those guys. You have to win your state. Even if you're in places like North Dakota, obviously in states like that, you got to recruit outside your region because talent is low. But Virginia, even if you're not getting the guys that are going to Ohio State, you got to get the guys that you know you can get. But it starts with relationships. You know, you can say, well, you know, we're recruiting these guys hard. High school coaches will always be very territorial over their players. But if they trust you, they will put an ear in that mom's ear. Hey, you know, Tech's going to take care of him. Those are things that Beamer did a masterful job of doing, and it paid huge dividends on them. I, I'm not saying you have to recruit just Virginia, because I believe in order for Virginia to, Virginia Tech to win a national championship one day and be returned to top 10, top 12 rankings and ACC championships, you got to have a mixture of some of the top in-state talent, Florida, North Carolina, that mid-Atlantic, and sprinkle in some guys from out of state and other areas. But right now, we are missing the boat on in-state recruiting, and it, it's disappointing. You know, I, I love Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is my favorite school, obviously. It's my university. I don't have any other favorite teams. I sit aside four hours every weekend to watch that team play. And for decades, it was really cool that Virginia Tech was the best program in the state. Because Virginia doesn't have an NFL team, we were Virginia's favorite team. I mean, Virginia Tech, the interest, the fan, Hokie Nation, the maroon, the 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 the, the pageantry, the traditions, you know, the the noise, the turkey, the gobbler, it seems like it's faded right now. And we just need a boost. We need something to happen to reverse the trend. And I think it starts with state pride. I don't think it's more so about beating UVA because that's not the goal or the standard. 
I think even with this team right now, they're going to beat UVA. But that should not be our goal. It should be about getting guys who are recognizable, who then when their other players come in, we can get them. And I think Beamer understood the importance of siblings and cousins and relationships. And I think if you're on that staff right now, you got to fight very hard to get relationships repaired and erase this misconception and perception that Fuente doesn't like players from Tidewater or he doesn't like guys from Maury or Booker T or Norfolk or Richmond. I think that's ridiculous, but I think it grows louder and louder when you're not landing some of those guys. Dwight Vick joining us, former Virginia Tech captain. Dwight, I, I just want to look back at this last offseason, the whole TX2VT moment, the Texas to VT movement that was very hyped up over the offseason, the recruitment of Demetrius Davis and a number of other guys. You know, that was kind of at least, you, you, you know, you talked about how online identity is a big thing in college football nowadays. Well, they really were pushing that online. Ultimately, it didn't amount to a whole lot. Do you think that kind of pushed Virginia Tech uh, a step back maybe in the recruiting process more regionally and locally, or, or do you think that that's something they can recover from quite quickly? Absolutely, it hurt Tech. Those high school coaches, and I know many of them, do not like seeing that. I get it. And many of the coaches that were pushing that are from that region. They they, you know, this is who they hired. This is who Fuente hired. You Listen, I, for the record, I'll say this on your podcast. I, if you are talented, I don't care if you're from Jerusalem, come to Tech. But at the same time, you can't push this as home with the whole picture of Virginia. And then you, you're talking about Texas to Vita, whatever that nonsense was. I didn't really care for it. I didn't like it. I like the talent. But ultimately, we got let down, left at the altar again. I think you got to win your state. I think you got to get guys that want to be here who are from your backyard first. Listen, at the end of the day, in the last five years since Fuente's gotten there, we won the Coastal Division his first year. Since then, the regime and the players there have not won anything. So we have to earn everything, including our state. There's no need to, to what, are we, what are we touting right now? Everything we're talking about is historical. It's historical. This regime, this group of coaches, this staff, these players have to create their own standard. And I think right now we're all over the place. One year it's North Carolina. One year it's hashtag Virginia, uh, Texas to Virginia. Let's win our state. And we don't need, need to announce it. I, I think you hurt yourself with that. I've talked to several high school coaches and even assistant coaches, and they're mad. They're like, yeah, Texas didn't come here. And then you had Norm Wood who put out that article which added fuel to the fire. Norm's my guy, you know, but he's just reporting what was going on What there was, you know, high school coaches saying Virginia and Virginia Tech doesn't, they don't recruit the state like that anymore. And these are high school coaches who have been coaching for 25 and 30 years. And I'm, I can speak on it because I was a guy that was recruited heavily by Virginia Tech and UVA. So again, I mean, I'm an OG, I'm an old school guy. So I, I'm not the focal point anymore, but I still see the players. I live in Northern Virginia. I'm from the 757. And I have a friend, LJ, who coaches in Richmond. And I know what's going on. And I know about guys. And you're like, why didn't we offer him? Um, you're going to get guys that are never going to come to Tech. I mentioned Quinn Blandon, the word on the street. And what I know, he was never coming to Tech. His mom was big on the UVA, and that's fine. But Smoke Mizell and Andrew Brown and guys like that were Tech leans. And I think 
when it comes to relationships and what you put out, as, as you guys say and you agree, perception is reality. Right now, the perception is Virginia Tech is not trying to get guys. They're going to get JUCO transfers, and they're going to get guys who fit what they need to do versus getting guys who are local. And this is such a state that's rich in talent that has so many players that we need to be looking at, whether it's in the Hampton Roads area, Northern Virginia, and Richmond, and even Southwest Virginia. And I think it's Liberty, if you look at what they're doing, a team that just beat us, Hugh Freeze is doing that. <laughs> you know, he's getting guys from Bristol High School. He's getting guys from the 804 and the 703. And it's pretty disappointing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad we got Trey Turner. And I'm glad we got Hendon Hooker. I'm not saying don't go to Carolina. I'm just saying don't put yourself in a box where people think it's all about that state. Texas is not close to Virginia. And ultimately, those guys, and these kids are different. They're very fickle. They can decommit, change their mind get homesick, and then you have a problem. You know, people don't realize, you know, Beamer, you know, again, we didn't have Twitter and Facebook back then, and it was a different time. But despite all the great Florida players Beamer had, there were a handful who did get homesick, who did end up going back to a smaller school in Florida or going back home. But he had such a strong hold over his state, it didn't really look like he was losing anything. And, And some of those guys needed to leave because they were too far from home. So, I just think you have to get talented players. You have to get guys to fit your scheme. But I'm a I'm a George Wells coach, Frank Beamer disciple when it comes to recruiting. I think no matter what decade, you have to win your state. Mike or Dwight, you've hit on this already, um, at least a little bit. But what impact has Virginia Tech's, I guess, substandard alumni relations had? not just in recruiting, but in terms of marketing the program and, 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 and soliciting donations, how, how does that relationship, which by accounts of multiple people, not just yourself, but multiple people that I talk to that are alumni of the program have said that that relationship is, is definitely strained and tenuous at best. Um, how, how does that situation not just affect recruiting, but also affect the program's ability to grow the donor base and solicit donations that are necessary to make the improvements to get the program where it needs to go. Yeah, I've seen it. And it's to the point now where after that loss, I was expecting people to tag me on Facebook and text me what's going on, what is wrong. It's to the point now, man, it wasn't an afterthought. I mean, we are not even, it's not even, it's not even, it's not even a frustration anymore. It's like, oh, well, Tech did what Tech does. And I think when it comes to winning, it doesn't solve everything, but it is the best deodorant. It, you know, it, you can't expect the the money to roll in for the drive for 25 or whatever they're trying to push when you don't have the momentum on the field. The product is not giving you that. At one moment last year when they had that great win, that bounce-back win against Miami after an embarrassing loss to Duke, that helped somewhat. But then, of course, you ended the season with uh, two, three straight losses, two short losses to UVA and Kentucky. I think what happens is, as we've said it already throughout this podcast, perception is reality. Why would I donate? Why am I going to pour in money, even if I have it or I'm, I'm a golden hope and have a lot of money, in this program when I don't know the trajectory or where we're going. 
Um, and then it doesn't help when you have tons of usernames that say Fire Fuente and you have guys who are on his side who are, like, holding back right now. I think right now there needs to be a sense of urgency with this program. I think it needs to be more than just hashtags and letters in the mail and phone calls. I think you're going to have to rebrand yourself and work hard to save the program. And I don't think Virginia Tech's on life support because I've often said we have not seen the worst of times, knock on wood, hopefully we don't see it. This has not hit rock bottom. But the momentum we had in 2016 or when they won that Coastal Division and they took Clemson to the brink of an upset is gone. Um, and Clemson has recovered. They won the national championship a few times since then. And North Carolina, you know, I don't know if North Carolina is really great or if it's fool's gold, but Mac Brown has the charisma and the recruiters and the mindset to take hold of a conference that still is looking for a challenger for Clemson. And they're right beside us in close proximity, and they're doing the formula that Beamer did. And I think you need that. I think the program needs some transparency. Once COVID is contained and there's a vaccine and things go back to somewhat of a normal, you know, routine and occurrence, you got to get some connections going on. It can't just be fan day, sign some posters. It's got to be some connections where your, 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 your group of guys, Ricky, your team and other people, Textile, everybody can go back and do their reports on the scrimmages. Everything's so closed off. We don't know what's going on. And fans want to be – we have a great fan base. And I've often said Virginia Tech fans, Hokie Nation is so loyal. They deserve better. And, and I will say this in, in, in the defense of the current staff. This did not start with them. You know, those, those six and six seasons on Beamer's way out, and I love Beamer, and I'm not blaming him. I just think, you know, it was what it was. We had gotten stale. It was tough, you know, to have those seasons when, you know, you're going seven and six, you're winning at the military bowl against Cincinnati. That's not where we want to be. I mean, we took over the state and we had a great one. J.C. Coleman had a record certain day, but that's not where we want to be as a program. You know, you know, you never want to be stagnant. You never want to be complacent because eventually the way the cycle of life goes, you're either going to fall off the boat or you're going to stand on the boat and get to shore and keep, you know, doing what you got to do. But you're never going to stand still. And I think at the end of the day right now, we're kind of in this gray area where we're hoping and wishing instead of taking control of what we need to do and push the program forward. And that's why guys aren't digging deep in their pockets. And alumni relations are that what it is. It's relationship. You know, it's just feeling like you're a part of something. Hokie Nation became such an outspoken fan base where they were so dedicated and loyal. They helped Virginia Tech get selected for bowl games that sometimes they didn't deserve because what did they say? Virginia Tech fans travel well. CIE, the bowl game against Michigan, the Sugar Bowl in 2011. That's because of Virginia Tech fans. And that's because of relationships built during that era. Because Hokie Nation felt so part of it that when we went into the ACC in 2004, we took over stadiums. We took over Maryland, Bird Stadium. We took over North Carolina Stadium. We took over Wake Forest. We took over NC State. We traveled to Miami. We took over Georgia Tech Stadium. That's because the fans felt that it was an investment because there was a connection which starts with relationships. Money is going to come if people feel connected and comfortable. They have no doubt donating. But the product on the field has to improve dramatically. I think they've done a great job of getting alumni back in the building as far as on the coaching staff with Pearson Prelo, Gravea Winslow, Jack Tyler, Daryl Tapp, and Justin Hamilton. That's a great start. But at the same time, at one time you had Torian Gray, who I've 
you know how I feel about him. He's one of the best football minds I've ever seen. So with that being said, you got to be strategic in who you bring and who's your spokesperson. You know, Fuente, he looks nice. I think he's a great father from what I see. And it's not on his, on his shoulders, but you got to have people that believe in him. I remember when Dabo Sweeney first came out, a lot of guys thought he was corny. He was a goofball. But look at him now. And I'm not talking about the wins and the championships. I'm talking about perception being reality where there's this thing where he, oh, shucks, I love my guys. I love my guys. Because he's charismatic, dancing in the locker room, doing the dab and the, all those different dances. People like that stuff. So, Dwight, I mean, we all know that this staff's not going anywhere anytime soon, right? When Winning, losing, total indifference, kind of up and down like they've been. Like, they're locked in here for a little bit. I mean, we're in a COVID year. The athletic department's losing upwards of $50 million this year because of COVID. I don't see there's any any way that Whit Babcock would be able to even think about making a change if he wanted to until the end of the 2021 season. So let's play this out a little bit. Between now, I mean, Tech's got, you know, four games left. Between now and the end of next season, what's it going to take for you as a former player, fan of the program, to have confidence that this is the staff for Virginia Tech moving forward? What's it going to take? I'm going to need to see them finish better. I think if, this, if they quote on Fuente and his staff, you know, if you have a bad showing this weekend against Miami, where Miami wins, you know, 38-17, and then you have them lose the pit, and then, you know, squeak out a win against UVA, but lose to Clemson. And I just think, you know, it's just not going to bode well because I, I, I'm not even wishing for – you know, I'm not one of those guys – you won't hear me really come out and say, there needs to be changes. Because keep in mind, you mentioned my time. I was on the 95 team as a redshirt freshman, which is a season in which I credit and when I became a man. Like, seeing J.C. Price and Jim Barron and Cornell Brown and Myron Newsom and those guys, George Del Rico, showed me how to lead and how to be an extension of Beamer and Bud Foster and those guys. It really helped me, you know, understand how it, how you handle adversity. But keep in mind, in 95, after a humble, humble, lost to Boston College, where we lost on Thursday night, 20 to 14. And then we came back, and this again, back at home in Lane Stadium on a gruesome, rainy day. We lose at home to Cincinnati, 16 to nothing. Nobody outside that locker room thought we were going to win 10 straight games, let alone beat Miami, led by Ray Lewis and the ranked team coming into Lane Stadium, having never beaten Miami before in the Beamer tenure, in the school's history. And we won because we believed we were going to do it. I think whatever they have, whatever's in the playbook, whatever mindset you have, I, I read where Fuente was helping out with the scout team, and it's going to take that kind of mindset for me to see on the field, for me to really feel like this needs to be the right group. And it's not, it doesn't matter really what I think because I'm one person. I do feel like I have a voice that, you know, I have some insight. But I think I speak for a lot of guys like Ike Charlton and, and Justin Harper and you know, Willie Powell and so many guys, we, we pretty much have the same mindset. We just want to see a team compete and play hard and win games. And we're, we're done being called the Chokies. And look, I lost some, I lost the Temple. We lost the Temple in 98. And we were ranked 14th in the country. Temple had lost 35 consecutive conference games. They were horrible. ESPN still considers that one of the worst upsets in the history of college football. Many publications do. We still finished the season nine and three 
and ranked in both AP and coaches poll, 18th, I believe, in both. And the following year, we won the conference and went on to play for a national championship. So you can have horrible losses and bounce back. I think what we need to see as a fan base and alumni, for me, since you asked me, is, is a better product. I'm, I'm tired of seeing us come out flat. Like Louisville, if you saw me on Twitter, I was, you know, complimentary. I said, that's how you saw the game. You know, I saw the energy. I don't know what needs to change, but I know one thing, the best evaluation is self-evaluation. And I say that personally and professionally. You know, when I was a player, by Gentry and everybody that coached me, I held myself accountable and they held myself accountable. They held me accountable, so I was able to see what I needed to do. I think right now, Fuente and his staff need to hold each other accountable and look each other in the mirror and say, hey, you know, call the coaches in. If you're not getting this done, we're going to do what we need to do. Um, and that's, it's a business. Um, and that goes with the players. You know, I don't care if Diablo's a senior. If he can't make a tackle and he keeps missing, sit him. I'd rather, I'd rather win or lose with the guy from Lake Braddock, the walk-on safety. You know, you got to hold your people accountable, man. And I think that's what we need to see right now is, you know, a, a competent, competitive, hard, smart, tough team. And I think at times we see it, but it's not consistent. I think the fans deserve that. And I'm not even saying there's be any firings. It just might need to be tweaking something, simplifying something, you know, getting guys' faces. Uh, I don't always think yelling and cursing does anything, but I'm just saying something where the message is being sent throughout the program, and then all of a sudden guys can follow through. But I think if you see guys crumble and if you don't see guys fighting for each other, then we've got decisions to make. I hope it doesn't even come to that. I would love to see a resounding win on Saturday. And then us talking about, okay, can we beat Pitt? Can we do this? Um, because, again, I'm not trying to get all sentimental and deep and make it like, oh, you can do You can do anything. But, I, I mean, believe me, in 95, nobody thought we were going to beat Miami. Um, last year, nobody thought Tech was going to beat Miami at Miami. It could be done. But, again, like the things I just mentioned, those are some of the items you need to see moving forward. And I think, as you guys mentioned in your questions, you also got to look at recruiting relationships you got to look at the product on the field you got to look at how we're using our personnel you know we got talent on offense I know Mitchell was hurt and Khalil had the hamstring issue but um Blackshear only had nine carries and um Hendon Hooker as much as I love him and I think we're not appreciating his enough he cannot be carrying the ball even though with a few games left 20-25 times a game you know is he's dynamic but we have to still mix it up um, so you have Holston too. So you have personnel where other guys can get carries. Dwight, last question we have for you here. If you had the opportunity to speak to this coaching staff or speak to this team going into this Miami game, what would you personally tell them? Cause we know this is a big one. This is kind of a bellwether game for Justin Fuente, you know, a win could, Maybe not reverse what happened last week, but it would be a step in the right direction. A loss would just be another data point saying that Justin Fuente can't win the big game. What would you tell these guys? I would tell them what they always say, you know, in their little pregame videos you see on Twitter, you know, pushed out by Virginia Tech football account. For those who have come and passed or whatever the phrase is, you're playing for yourselves and everyone who's come before you. You're playing for those guys like Cornell Brown and Mario Chazazo and Antonio Freeman. You're playing for DJ Parker and Brandon Orr and Cam Chancellor. You're playing for um, Cedric Humes. 
You're playing for those guys, Dwayne Brown, Anthony Davis. You're playing for all those guys. You're playing for Beamer. You're playing for Foster. Miami never respected Virginia Tech until the 90s and until we started beating them in the 90s. And you can't get this game back. You can't get this time back. Don't wait and be that team that not only ends the bowl streak, but changes everything about Virginia Tech. And that may seem like a lot of pressure, but you should embrace the moment. You have a chance to become still, despite all this disappointment, you still have a chance to right the ship and get it going. You have a chance to be an 11th ranked team. I would cite the times Virginia Tech has beat Miami when no one expected it. When Ja'Cory Harris came in and Kurt Herstreek and the rest of ESPN game day was touting Miami back, the U is back, and, and Virginia Tech was ranked 11th. Nobody was even talking about them. Virginia Tech wins the game in a rainstorm, 31-7. Tyrod Taylor, rollout pass, Jared Boykin, Ryan Williams. I would talk about the 95 team that was 0-2 and beat Ray Lewis and company 13-7, ran the ball down their throat. I would talk about, you know, when, when Brandon Orr and those guys went down to Miami and beat Miami 17-10, you know, and, and, and Dwayne Brown blocked the field goal that sealed the win. I would talk about those games against Miami when, you know, Logan Thomas drove him down the field and he got the game when it touched down the zone read and they called timeout trying to tie the game up and we got the tackle to win the game. I would talk about those wins that came before them, the importance of Virginia Tech doing it. I would talk about the fact that when Miami had won 31 straight games and they had won 31 straight games and they came into Blacksburg the, the notorious D'Angelo Hall stripping the ball from Roscoe Parrish, setting the tone. Eric Green, two interceptions, killing Brock Berlin, taking the pick six to the house. We've always risen up to the challenge when it came to playing the King. You can be part of that, Ray Sean Ashby. You can be part of that, Diablo. You can be part of that, Hendon Hooker. But are you going to stand up or are you going to just sit there and, and tell us, oh, we fought hard, stay behind us? It's your choice. Nobody's going to do it for you. We can sit here and talk about how it used to be in COVID. The other teams who dealt with COVID and contact tracing were still winning. You got to rise up and play for something bigger than you. Otherwise, you're going to be that team that, that ended everything, and it could, it could be something you don't want to be remembered for. I'm an OG. I'm old school now. I'm no longer playing, but it feels good never having the loss to Miami. They can say what they want about scholarship limitations. I beat Edger and James, Ed Reed. Santana Moss and Reggie Wayne. I've won at the Orange Bowl twice, and it feels good. And those guys that be Miami after me, it feels good as well. You can be part of that, and you can you can change the trajectory of this program. You can you can right this ship and be remembered for finishing strong and and and, and surprising everybody. But they have to believe it, and that's what I would tell them. You know, it's not over. You're still in the HBC hunt at four and two. As crazy as that sounds. I know Notre Dame just beat Clemson. It's not looking like Texas going to win the national. I mean, the ACC championship or play for it. But that's not for us. That's for us to debate. That's not for them to believe. They got to believe what they believe. So that's what I would tell that locker room. And you know, and, and you know, I wish I could play in games like this, but I'm going to be sitting at home watching, tweeting, and talking my trash with you guys. <laughs> Well, Dwight, I'll tell you, that has me wanting to run through a brick wall right now. And, you know, just very insightful stuff on your part. You know, you're a legend of this program. And 
you know, like they said, for those who have passed, for those to come, well, we certainly appreciate all your contributions and we appreciate you for coming on the Hokie Hangover podcast today, sir. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It was fun and I appreciate you allowing me to provide my insight. This, is, this was great. And folks, that's going to wrap it up for us. As always, I am Andrew Alex from Mike McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue. We thank you for joining us today. Gentlemen, do you have anything to say to the people before we go? Go follow Dwight on Twitter. Um, Dwight's always got some really good tweets during and after games. Um, rate, review, subscribe. So Mike can't say that this week. He's got to come up with something else a bit more creative. Um, and, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how Saturday goes. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, Mike with the creativity. But, yes, do everything they said. As always, thank you to the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Thank you again to Dwight Vick for joining us. We will be back very soon. We're going to preview Miami probably tomorrow, so you'll see that episode pretty soon. Very exciting stuff. Dwight's got me hyped with that speech, and we'll be back to preview it all. As always, my friends, stay safe. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.